Thank you for pulling into the Hope Station. I am your host, Diane Bells. The Hope Station is a place to hear amazing interviews, great transformational stories, and learn about the power of faith and hope to change your life. A podcast that proves living purposefully is possible. Are you ready for your own transformational story? Do you want to turn a new chapter in your life or career? There's hope. Schedule a free consult call with me to stop feeling hopeless and gain the hope you need to have the life you deserve. Information of how to schedule that appointment is in the show notes. You can also connect with me through my website, Diane Bells, uh, D-I-A-N-E-B-E-L-Z.com. Are you ready for another great interview? So hello and welcome to the Hope Station podcast. I am your host, Diane Bells, and today my guest is Tammy Vincent. She's an author, a speaker, and a coach, and she has a special message for anyone who has been a child of an alcoholic parent, if you are in the midst of that right now, of, you know, just being an adult child who needs to sort of escape what might have happened in your childhood. Uh, Tammy's here to offer us some insight because she also was a child of two alcoholic parents and she has a life mission now of really trying to eradicate, if possible, the impact and effects that it has on these young children's life. So Tammy, thank you for being brave, telling your story and coming on to the podcast. Well, thank you for having me, Diane. I'm glad to be here. Definitely. Great. So a little bit, I always like to, especially with authors, I know that there's a personal reason behind that story, but share with our audience a little bit why you decided that your mission was now going to be about really helping children from alcoholic parents. What was your experience that led you to this? Well, unfortunately, both of my parents were alcoholics. So I came by it very honestly, the the pain and the feeling of being lost and everything that comes with being the child of an alcoholic. And I always liked working with children. So I went into teaching. As okay. soon as I got into teaching, I realized, wow, these kids are these kids are hurting. There's so many of them out there. I could just see, I could see what I would feel as a child and I wanted to find a way to help them. So my first book um, is called Surviving Alcoholic Parents and it's a teen's ABC guide to thriving in the world of chaos. So it's just tips and tricks and ways to kind of help them, resources, let them know that they're not alone, that there's someone out there. And then it got a little bigger. Um, During COVID, I had lost my job doing something else. So I was like, you know what? it's my time. I'm 50 some years old. I've gotten over the healing journey. Now it's time for me to go out and spread the mission. So my next book is actually for educators because I figure if I can, I can reach some children, but the best way to do it is to reach the educators and let them know that, you know, they're the support. They are the bridge between kids being lost and kids being found. So that was my second book was a way to help the, you know, help educators understand that these kids are very lost. And I just didn't want to see kids going through what I went through, right. you know, sleeping with my head on the desk, not feeling safe, not feeling like I had an outlet or a place to go or anybody to talk to. So you, as an educator, because you've lived it, you were able to actually see the signs of what you experienced in your students. How were you able to help them 
there in that moment as an educator? Well, a lot of times you can't just kind of grab them and say, hey, you look like you're struggling. What do you want to do? I mean, I was teaching these younger grades. So what I realized is that you have to kind of, my theory was to empower the children as a whole. I knew what they were dealing with and I knew what was going to be the end result if someone didn't grab them at a young age. So I kind of started doing that with them. And this is, you know, 20 years ago. Uh, Now they say, you know, everybody talks about self-affirmation and, you know, building yourself up. Back then they didn't, but I did because I saw these kids and I knew what I was going through. So I used to do activities with them, like little I am activities and just things that would build their confidence, build their self-esteem. I mean, some of these children couldn't even look you straight in the eye. They were so damaged and so insecure and really having a complete and total lack of self-identity. And the fear, it sounds like, from what you're saying, when they're not able to, to look at look you in the eye. Mm-hmm. How did that impact your life? You know, what were, you, you were there. What was it like for you, if you don't mind sharing? being part of that family? Um, It was, you know, I look at it now and now I can kind of laugh and joke about the individual stories back then. It was pretty horrific. Um, I remember one time I was 26 years old. So picture I'm standing there, 26 years old, pregnant with my first child. And I literally almost had a breakdown because I didn't know what unconditional love felt like. I had never in my life felt that love without a cost or love without a price. And I freaked out. I was afraid, you know, what am I going to, am I going to even be able to love this child? And that's when I realized, okay, I need to really figure out what exactly growing up like this has done to me and what I can do to fix it. Just the thought that you, you've never experienced that, that you've never known that. How, how did that journey backwards help you move forward? Well, just realizing that, I think it really made me look really hard into what I had actually been through and what I had endured and the things that happened to me. And I realized this is not what life is supposed to be. So I went on this like mission. I mean, they didn't really have the internet back then. It was a brand new thing. So it wasn't like you could Google, how do I help myself when I'm completely (laughs) jacked up? I mean, you couldn't just reach out and be like, help me. So it took some It really took, I mean, I got everything. I used to go to Barnes and Nobles, or I guess back then it was Borders. And I used to sit at the bookstore and just read every self-help book I could get. And, you know, I thought I was doing pretty good. I'm like, okay, I I understand unconditional love now. I bought a puppy. That's what taught me about unconditional love. Remember my first husband said to me, is there any, you know, you don't love me unconditionally? And I'm like, no, there's a thousand things you could do right now that I would stop loving you. But this puppy, no, that is unconditional love. And that's the kind of love you expect and deserve as a child. And so at that point, I knew I could give it to my children. And I wish I would love to say it stopped there and everything was great. Um, No, there was two pivotal moments in my life. The second was three years later after I had my first baby and I loved this first baby. Now I'm 28 and I'm getting divorced from my first husband. Okay. Because I had zero communication skills. I had zero boundaries. I had zero self-love. And all of that stemmed, again, going back um, to what happened to me as a child. You know, a lot of people think, 
you know, your parents are alcoholics, so you're by default going to be an alcoholic. And that's not necessarily true, but it is without a doubt, a hundred percent true that you become a para-alcoholic or you live the life of the alcoholic because you're in the family unit. It's so intertwined, all the manipulation and the emotional neglect and the avoidance tactics and the, you know, the different coping mechanisms that you develop. Mm -hmm. You don't grow up like a normal child at all, period. So, well, you're, you're learning behaviors. Like you said, you're a para-alcoholic. You're learning behaviors that they modeled, even if you didn't pick up the bottle. Absolutely. And it goes generations deep. I mean, if I look back at my family, I, I can't find many people in my family that did not have mental health issues or addiction. Well, sometimes they, they you don't know which goes first, the mental health issue or the addiction or the addiction causing the mental illness. My Best friends in high school, all of them had an alcoholic parent. My mother seemed to know that. I don't know how else to explain it. She doesn't talk a lot about her childhood, but we know that there was some level of abuse. Uh, she passed away, so I can't, she never would give us full disclosure of what went on in the household. And she would just know. And she said, I want them to know that they have a place to come whenever they need to come come a safe place to, to be there. And I felt like my friend, this was their safe house. Some will come for a couple days, you know, one came for uh, two weeks, but they just needed that place to be safe. And she knew that she knew that. And it was because uh, I, my heart hurts because whenever I do my prayers, I start back in this, you know, thank you for my parents that I always knew I was love. I always felt safe. I always had food on the table and shelter. So the thought, I, I can't even imagine being a child, Tammy, and going through this. So what what were some of the things, you know, you're a 26-year-old mom. What were some of the things as a young child that you had to experience? Um, I mean, with just little things like I can tell you a short version of how I got exposed to what PTSD was. Okay. I was, when I was in kindergarten or preschool, my mom used to watch As the World Turns and give me hard-boiled eggs, well, soft-boiled eggs, and they were horrible. She was a horrible cook. So we used to watch this, this show together, and she made me eat these soft-boiled eggs every day, which I didn't like, and she couldn't cook. So some days they were rubber, some days they were hard, whatever. But however I reacted or how she reacted to my reaction depended on how much she had had to drink that day. So some days I was beaten. Some days I was hit. Some days I was put in a closet. Some days I would go for the rest of the day without food. It was just whatever she felt like at that time. So fast forward 30 years later, and I'm sit I'm five or six at this point, I'm sitting at a dinner table with my kids and my, their friends. And we were eating lunch. It was a day off. I think it was like a Monday, a Memorial day off or whatever. Right. And the work, the show as the world turns came on and without even never even saw what happened to me. And I literally physically vomited on the table. Oh my gosh. And I, I had to process like, what was that? And then it went, it all came back like, oh my gosh, I hadn't thought about that in 30 years. And that's like a very small example. And that's how I understood PTSD. So 
Yeah, it, it, and, and the stories could go, you know, forever. I, when my parents used to fight my mom, if my dad passed out because they were both drinkers, my mom would come usually come at me physically. So if they would start to fight, I would go sleep under the drainage ditch in the street. And that was a scary spot for a 10-year-old. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So tell me, how did you break out of that? You had, you, you had the books, you know, you had these pivotal points. You're, you're pregnant, wondering, I don't know how to give unconditional love. Then you have this point that you're, you know, you realize you have PTSD, post-traumatic, yeah, I always, and is there, you know, some other points, how did you get through that in such a way that you feel you're healed enough to help others? Years and years of healing. Um, Like I said, I'm 55 now, and I'm just now really comfortable enough to, in my own skin, I mean, it probably could have been about 10 years ago, but just now that I'm like, okay, I'm at a point where I feel like I could conquer the world. I really feel like I've, I've got it. I, I mean, yes, I'm going to have bad memories. I'm going to have things come up, right. but I've learned so much through therapy, through um, Al-Anon meetings, Alateen meetings, and, you know, the adult child of alcoholic meetings. I've understood so much about the, how the brain works and, I have two missions. One is to help women and and men in my situation that don't even realize the damage that was done to them. And also to get to the children before the damage is done. Because I feel like, you know, if you could build up that sense of identity and, and, and let them know that they're in, you know, they're, they're worth fighting for themselves and that they have a support system, their lives would be a hundred percent different. What are some signs that you might be suffering from this trauma of living with alcoholic parents. What are some, you know, signs, symptoms, reactions, habits that they're having that. One of the biggest ones. And I I think that a lot of people go, Oh my gosh, that's so me is being a people pleaser is being that codependent. Like everybody else's world is more important and it revolves around them. Um, nothing revolves around you as a person. It's making sure that, you know, everybody else is happy. Everybody else is content. And then also that, you know, you feel validated as a person. So you might, and a lot of people will say, I can't say no to anything, nothing. Like people will ask me to do something and I'll do it just because I don't want them to be upset with me. And that's a lot of it because growing up like that, you your emotions, your feelings, and your love was never validated. So you're on this like eternal search to feel validated, to have people like you and to know that, you know, to make you feel like you matter, that you care. Well, even when you're, you're going back to your story with the, um, the egg, that by saying no to your mom, I don't want to eat this or I don't like that, there were serious ramifications for that. So even though it might not be on a conscious level, we're saying, I'm afraid to say no, because no could really uh, cause some serious damage or harm to me, either physically, verbally, whatever, emotionally, whatever it might be. Absolutely. That makes Absolutely. sense. Well, what, what's some another sign? You said that's totally me, people pleasing. Um, another one would just be um, just trouble with relationships. Um, you have a hard time you know, I, I know a lot of people lightly throw out the phrase, you can't love someone until you love yourself. Um, I tend to disagree with that. I think you can love someone, but you're somewhat loving them on a superficial level. 
because if you don't, it's very, very hard to trust people. It's very, very hard to open up and, and tell people what's truly inside of you or what's truly bothering you. One, for fear of abandonment, which is a huge one. Um, you're afraid if they don't like what they hear, they're going to leave you or they're going to love you less. So, um, I mean, honestly, neither I've been married one first time for five years, second time for 22 years. And it's just now that my second husband is finding out what really happened to me. Okay. It took, it took me 15 years to be able to like, okay, I trust this guy enough that he's not going to leave me if he doesn't like what he hears. Well, you can see that. So you're always sort of not to use the egg walking on eggshells, not sure. <laughs> what you could do that could disrupt this relationship. It could take away the love. It could make you feel less safe. Um, yeah, that's, so let's just go back to a couple of things. As a, as a people pleaser, as a coach, how are you helping people get out of that or understand really, it? Really, a lot of times it just goes back to, I mean, you've probably heard of inner child work, which is huge mm -hmm. now. And actually, it didn't start just now. It started way, way, way back with Carl Jung. So, but it's, it's your inner, your 90% of what you think, it comes out from your subconscious mind. Right. So you're not, so it's, it's that little person behind that was damaged. That's your subconscious mind. That's your what determined all of your characteristics, all of your traits, everything. It's what happened to you and your identity that you form. So a lot of times it's doing inner child work. I did six years of inner child work myself and just walking back and getting to know that little person and giving them the space to be scared and to be, to, to voice their opinion and know that they have a safe space. So a lot of that is that a lot of it is, um, just really trying to build, you know, build up and let them know the daily affirmations that they are valuable, that they are loved, that they are worthy, and that they always have been. Um, it takes a lot of uh, time and energy to convince, to rewire your brain to feel validated, loved, and heard. So, so why journaling. Is it, okay, so you is it rewriting the story, or how would you you say? That is it being with that inner child and understanding where they were feeling now that you can look at it from an adult standpoint, what are some of the things that you discovered through that process that helped you? Well, and, and you worded it exactly perfectly because a child that is damaged is thinking subjectively. You know, if, the, if someone says, you know, I don't like the way you do that, it's not that they don't like the way you do that. It's that they don't like you. You know, if someone says you are bad or I don't like this, it's I don't like you. They they don't have that maturity level to really look at it from an adult standpoint and go, OK, maybe this was said, but that's really not what they meant. So you do go back. Um, I don't necessarily like delving back into some of the traumatic things. I believe that you can deal with a lot of that without actually reliving the experience. Right just coming in terms with the fact that it did happen and it's horrible and then it wasn't your fault and you couldn't cure it and you didn't cause it. Um, and then letting that person feel safe, you know, just getting maybe almost to the edge of an, a, an, an acute experience, I guess you could call it. And then just 
you can rewrite it or you can just visualize with them and have them somewhere else just to, to could, because you do have to kind of come to terms and acknowledge that there was that pain and then you have to release it. You have to get rid of it somehow through meditation, through, I mean, there's so many different modalities of therapy that people use. So journaling, the, the meditation, uh, you know, just, just processing things out, but doing it, I guess, in and now in a safer environment. Exactly. Exactly. Allowing that. Oh, that, that's <laughs> like, you know, you just feel bad. And there's even with just different things that you can, you don't have to be a parent of an alcohol, a child of an alcoholic parent to have those childhood traumas that just sort of resonate because you're a little kid. You don't, you don't know, you know, your, your, your goal is to be safe. Like that's what our brain is wired for, you know, for that safety, for that comfort, for pleasure and reserving our resources. And it's like, you are on high alert all the time. So just thinking of the cortisol running through a young child's body, you know, I know when I'm feeling stressed and anxious and I'm old enough to be able to deal with it and know where it's coming from. But as a child, you can see where your passion for this work would come, Tammy. So what are some of the things that you're doing as an author, speaker, and coach? Give us some hope that, you know, here was Tammy. She had the trauma. She's been working, doing hard work helping herself, but now you're, you're helping others. So what's some hope that you can give on that other side? Uh, the best thing, and I, I just like my simplest way to describe it, and I think I mentioned it earlier, is just that your life experiences are not your life sentences unless you allow them to be. So there is always hope. It doesn't matter if you're 14 or you're 104, you can always go back and reestablish those positive feelings and those you know, that positive sense of identity and that safety. It's never, never, never too late. So I think you you had stated, and this is before I started recording, but you said your life circumstances do not have to be your life set. So how has your life changed, you know, the before Tammy and the after Tammy of you doing this work, really delving into it and taking the time to, to heal? It's freer. You're lighter. I, you know, I was talking to a girl yesterday and just after one session, I said, well, how do you feel? And she said, I feel like an elephant took one foot off my chest. Mm. And that's how I, you know, that's how I feel. But I feel like I got three feet off my chest. It's just, you know, when you're, when you're growing up with that kind of chaos and, and just, it's so chaotic and crazy. And like you said, you're so hyper vigilant and so ready to, to dodge every single thing that comes at you because mm -hmm. you perceive everything as a threat that it, it's draining. It's physically, it's mentally draining. Um, I had bleeding ulcers when I was in college. And I know, you know, I don't know if you've ever read the book, The Body Keeps Score, but it's so true. If you do not deal with these things it's go they're going to take you down eventually as far as mentally, physically, spiritually. Um, I spent a lot of time praying, a lot of time going to church, a lot. Of, and it just I felt like it, it's like every year there was more and more light at the end of the tunnel and just a lifting of my emotional freedom, I guess you could call it is the best way. So it's been a process and, and you've had success with your your clients and such so what type of people are you coaching so what what would they come to you for 
we do a call out. Come all you. So, um, you know, and now it's, I say adult children of alcoholics and it's any dysfunctional family. A lot of people, you know, there was divorces, there's things that traumatize kids and they just don't get over it. Uh, when you have an, when you live an emotionally neglectful family, I guess you can say that it takes a toll. So it might just be your parents going through a divorce and they might think that they're a hundred percent there for you, but they're not, they're not emotionally available. And so you're going to suffer all of the, the effects of whether it's addiction, divorce, homelessness, poverty, it, it all has the same wiring on your psyche basically. So it's really anybody that just kind of, um, I, I like to tell people to go read the laundry list and it came out from Al-Anon and it's like the 14 traits that typical adult children of alcoholics will develop, mm -hmm. but it goes for any kind of dysfunction. And if you read that list, usually people that come to me are like, oh yeah, you gave me that list over the email and 12 of them came to me, like 12 of them hit me and resonated with me. So it's, um, it's just really anybody that just doesn't understand, doesn't understand why they feel the way they are, why they snap at their spouse or certain triggers that just they don't understand. They don't understand why they are the way they are. Sometimes just walking back through that can help them understand and sometimes spark something that they didn't even remember happened or the the awareness. So it's it's just getting that awareness when you think that if you're in a dysfunctional family like that and you have this pain and you have this trauma, there's no one to go to where if I felt like someone isn't being nice to me and I'm thinking of this one nun who kept on saying my name wrong, third grade, she called me Diana. My name's not Diana. And then she mispronounced my um, maiden name. And my mother went up and stood in that gap for me and said, her name is Diane and you will call her Diane. And she would, she would stand up for me and knowing that there was someone behind me, but knowing that there's no safe place to go. So miss, you have to start feeling that there must be something wrong with me. So is that part of what your, your coaching is doing is helping take the blame, the shame, working with that trauma away so that they can't, I can see how you can feel free or just saying, wait a minute, let me look at that objectively now. Let me look at my past and, and look at what when, what has happened. And now saying, I can almost put a, a line in the sand and saying, this was my past. Now I get to write my future, to design my future. You, you have power again. Because you said in the beginning, that's something that you were teaching the younger children you know, as an educator to be empowered, it sounds like you're doing the same for your clients as well. Absolutely. And that's really what it, it's all about is some somebody else has ultimately been controlling your brain your entire life, however old, or old you are. They've been, you know, your circumstances have been telling you what to think and what to feel and whether or not you can even have the freedom to feel. And so even, you know, now it's easier for me to talk because both of my parents have passed um, but there was, there's so much guilt and shame and still knowing that, you know, everybody said, well, your parents did the best they could. And it's like, yes, they did the best they could, but that doesn't make it any easier. So right. whether there's this level of forgiveness, there still needs to be some accountability and I shouldn't feel guilty about that. 
And a lot of it is just getting people to let go of that guilt. So has forgiveness been part of your journey? Absolutely. Absolutely. And there are some things and, you know, I know Al-Anon is like, you have to forgive everything. And, you know, some people that go to church, so you have to forgive everything. And I finally had to come to terms with the fact that there are a couple non-negotiables in my life. Um, sexual assault being one of them. And just with my experience, that was never going to be forgiven. And I had to come to peace with the fact that you did what you had to do for whatever reason, but I will never forgive that part of it. You know, there are some parts to me that are not, I don't know. I mean, and that's maybe me and still need some work, but I will, you know, when I deal with sexual assault and uh, just a quick version, but I, I was basically asked to pay for my mom's drug debt that way. And that to me is not forgivable. Oh my gosh. I I can't even imagine. I'm so sorry for that, Tammy. And I think that part of it is um, I do believe in forgiveness and forgiveness isn't giving them a um, get out of jail free card. It's giving you a get out of jail free card. Absolutely. And I say that because I saw my mother, whatever happened in her past with her father, she wouldn't let go of it. And through her um, journey through Alzheimer's, she finally released it. This is at 85 years old. Mm. And you could see her suffer with it. And I was, you know, at her bedside when she was in a coma and she came out. And for the first time, I saw peace on my mother's face. Not that she just never had that sense of joy, that sense of peace. And she looked at me and she said, like, all is good. Like, everything's good. I'm like, well, that's an odd statement. And 20 minutes later, she she comes back out. And the last words she ever said were, I'm dying, aren't I? Hmm. So it took her that long to find that peace. And it's like, you don't have to say, you know, I'm I'm. I'm letting someone else deal with that pain and I'm going to, it's releasing yourself, I think. And I'm not going to, you know, I could coach you on that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> just the power of it. It just, it yeah. releases you and it, it it is hard. I'm saying that is something that I would not tolerate. I will never accept. I will never say it was right, but I'm going to let you go because I'm, I, I need to, I need to, to move forward. And, and that's really where I came with that one, because that was the one aspect I couldn't get past. Oh my gosh. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to come come clean with the fact that I'm at peace with the fact. And I did make that peace with the fact that I don't have to forgive that part of it. It's not, you know what I mean? Like, that's not, that will never be, that's totally mutually exclusive from everything else I did forgive you and understand. And, you know, that's what I coach children. I coach children that it's a disease. So there needs to be some empathy and there needs to be some compassion and we're not judging or shaming the addict or the alcoholic. Right. Um, we, we're helping the people deal with their side of it because the other side, they have no control of. It's like, they can't go back and, and fix their, their mother or father. They can't go back and erase everything that's happened to them, but right. to, it just, like how wounded do you have to be as a person to even think to do that? That, that is just, um, 
I don't know. I'm like physically <laughs> feeling physically ill thinking about that. And you don't, that's the other thing I think that we don't realize where people have come from. And when we're looking at people's behavior and saying, well, why can't they get past that or get over it? it they, they can't because they haven't dealt with it yet. Do you think there's a difference in saying, I, this is painful, but I, I need, I need to, I need to heal it. And the only way to heal it is to come to terms with it. And then, as you say, go through the process of, you know, inner child work, uh, you know, through prayer and meditation and journaling, you know, going to different groups and, and into therapy because they, they just don't want to let it go. And what do you find one of the biggest reasons why people get sort of stuck there and they don't want to let their past go so that they can move into that future? I think a lot of people don't realize how bad their past has affected them. You know, okay. and I say to people, there's no hierarchy of pain. There's no hierarchy of trauma. You know, what happened to you, you might think doesn't even compare to what happened to me, but it doesn't matter. You're horrible is you're horrible. And so you right. need to be able to, to look at that and say, yeah, you know, not compare. Comparison is like evil to me. Like don't compare yourself or what happened to you or to anybody you have, unless you've walked in someone's shoes you don't understand it. And your pain is your pain. And you get to own that and you get to know that it's worth healing and that it did right. hurt you. So I think a lot of people just don't know. Um, and that's part of the, you know, I have every time I talk to like a group of kids or something, I'll have the parents come to me and be like, wow, I never thought about how badly that little thing might have damaged me. And I'm like, yeah, and it's, you know, the neurons that fire together, wire together. It's very hard to rewire your brain, but you have Who's to do it. a doctor? Amen. <laughs> right. <laughs> I love, I love that saying. Cause it's so true. I'm like, you got to rewire your brain, but you can, you know, you can. Well, I think that that's part of it is that, that oftentimes they feel like it should be an automatic healing. Like I'm, I've been doing this for too long and then we have to look and say, well, what's still holding you back? What what have what aren't you willing to face? Like facing your giants. You know, what aren't you willing to face to say, I really need to process that out? Because I'm saying that I didn't have the pain of that any I, I can't even imagine living in that the, the situation that you lived in. And so many are. You said there's what, 18 million children living, you know, with alcoholic parents, drug addicted parents, some kind of dysfunction. But there were even little things that I've had in my life that I had to go back and look at. And there were tiny things and we feel like, yeah, that's, that, that's who we are. That's not worth it. And I looked over the last six months, I've been doing that kind of work, you know, you know, healing of some kinds, because you don't know what's in there, but if you're not able to move forward, if you're not having the life that you envision you should or could, part of it is really looking back and saying, well, what were the things that really hurt me? And it could have been a one-off comment that someone made not with no intention of doing <laughs> you damage. And I had talked that I had problems with crying babies for a long time. And I had no idea why I was so upset. And this is having three children of my own and one granddaughter. Uh, and then I did this sort of inner healing of this inner child that had trauma. And I 
what how I remember this is that my mother was upset with me because I woke up my younger brother. He was a baby. And that baby crying got my mother very mad at me. So I didn't care whose baby was crying. I could be in the airport, in a restaurant, in church, and I'd be like, someone's got to stop that baby from crying. Mm. And then when I finally released it, I mean, this is so simple in regards to your situation, but it's showing the power of something so small Mm -hmm. at a young age can sort of get you so miswired. (laughs) The crying babies are bad things. And my husband would go to me, that's what they do. Well, he had six younger siblings. <laughs> I only had one and I got in trouble for making him cry. I haven't <laughs> forgiven him yet. No. <laughs> but that's where when you look and say, if you're feeling stuck, if you're feeling that you're having any of these, as Tammy had said, you're a people pleaser, you're having trouble with relationships, you're not uh, trusting others. These just might be signs that there is something that's that's holding you back. And it might be something so small that you can't remember. But when you reveal it, when you look at it from a child's eyes and a child's Mm -hmm. emotional state, how powerful it can be. But from an adult, you say it's time to, as you said, like release that inner child, let them speak, let them be healed so they can move forward. Absolutely. Very well said. I mean, just the mind is a powerful thing. And just the fact that you're still talking about third grade when your teacher didn't say your name right I mean that who remembers that you 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 literally don't remember about 80 percent of your childhood so why would that come up you know what I'm saying well and I think that that part of it is not being it's like diminished like it's not important enough but there was also laughter around it like the other kids knew what my name was and she mispronounced both names so it wasn't like you know um Bob Smith no big deal. I just had a, a last name that looked a little bit confusing to say. That's all. Right. And she would say it wrong where the kids all knew what my name was. And she didn't. And this is funny, Tammy, because if I interview someone, I am so afraid to mispronounce their name still. <laughs> so maybe I saw some work. I was a recruiter for a long time. And I would be on international calls with people with names that were like 30 letters long. And I'm like, oh, my God. How do I say this? And this is so funny. One guy, I'm trying desperately to say his name. And he said, can you just call me Vincent? Like, I didn't want them to feel diminished or that I wasn't paying attention to them or valuing them because our name has power, right? So, yeah, I I think I have work to do, (laughs) Tammy. Well, and it's, it's a good example to show, though, because think of your life had your mother not stepped in. How empowering was your mother stepping in and going, this is her name and use it. Darn it. Use you it know, or else <laughs> or else like like that's like, oh, yeah, she got my back. Like so picture not having her not gotten your back. You would have been like your feelings would have been dr- terribly hurt. It doesn't matter. You know, you're diminished. Your, your name is. Mm-hmm. And then it could have been that the kids just thought like we're just going to keep on calling her that name. And it, it is these little things that we don't realize. So that that that's my <laughs> that's my <laughs> advice for today. If there's something that you feel like you're working extra hard on trying to avoid, if there's something that really does trigger you, you might need to just take a look back and say, where did this come from? When did this start? And let me 
do some sort of, is there a small healing process, some one step you can offer to them to make it a little simple? And I do tell people it never hurts to explore. On my website, I have a 30-minute console. It's just a 30-minute free discovery okay. call. And that will sometimes, people are like, oh, no, okay, that makes sense. I don't need any more. And sometimes people are like, wow, there's probably way more, huh? Well, so, when you said that one of your clients said you, they feel feel lighter already, mm -hmm. that, that just that lightness gives you the momentum to say, let me see if I can, if, if it feels this good with one foot off of the elephant off my chest, what would it feel like if all four were off? Oh, yeah, I can tell you I'm about three and a half because it's, <laughs> it's, it's a lifelong process, but boy, feels so good. Feels so good to be secure and, and free in your own skin, to be able to say what you want without fear of repercussion with, to be able to set boundaries with people to be able to just confidently do what you got to do. To, to move forward. Yes. To move forward. And it's just like reclaiming your life. You don't have mm -hmm. to have a life sentence and you know, you can see so many people are carrying that around because it becomes so much part of their story. Like they, they don't release it that they're writing that story with that is the major theme in it. And it seems like you are, you have a new theme and that's a yes. mission to help other people not be Absolutely. trapped in this kind of, as you said, life sentence. Exactly. I spoke with a lady yesterday who actually, after our conversation got off the phone with me and told her husband, she will be 60 next week that she was sexually abused when she was seven. She'd never spoken it to anybody. She told him 50, what, 45 years after they got married or something, they'd been married right. since she was 15. She had never spoken those words. And she texted me and she said, I feel just a hundred percent better. Like, why didn't I tell somebody this 45 years ago? Yeah. I've had people in my life that said their therapist told them they, they needed to tell somebody and they shared that information with me. So, you know, as, as a coach, you really do have that privilege of, of being in that that safe space that safe landing space and um so anyone who really feels that they they need to be set free a little bit tammy might be the coach for you so i will provide that information on the show notes so if you are challenged with some kind of dysfunction in your past if you feel like you're stuck and want to be set free Tammy will give you a free consult call and there's links to her website and her books as well in the show notes. So I just want to thank you, Tammy. That was, um, it's great to see people being able to feel free. There's uh, not a greater thing that we can, you know, we just, we, we were born to be free and knowing that you're helping free people. I applaud you for the work you're doing. It's great. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Thank you so much for pulling into the Hope Station. Wasn't that a great episode? My hope is that this episode brought you hope. Do you want to be a hope giver? I hope so. And how you can do that is to share this podcast, post the episode on social media, Write a review or rate the podcast. This helps engagement and boosts the podcast out to other listeners in need of hope. So thank you. Thank you for participating. Thank you for helping. 
Thank you for being a valued listener. And my hope is that you have a great week.